the fact that I can go to them and just say, like, I feel really emotional about this. I don't know how to process this. Huh. Right. Like usually I, I can like logic my way through a problem um, and I see the logic and I get it. And I'm still like, I have this like knot and I can't get over. Mm. Like, can I please have some feedback? And, mm. you know, like they just helped me talk about five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden, like, I'm like so relaxed five minutes later. My, I feel like my, my mind is working like the way it should be for the company, you know, like mm. um, I'm innovating again. And, and that's like my baseline. So when that's missing, I just know I'm stressed. Huh. And so I'm so grateful to have to be surrounded by, you know, emotionally intelligent people, um, because without that, it's just so much more complicated. And what you just said is so powerful. Essentially, by doing that inner work for yourself, yeah. it allows you to be more innovative. And I totally agree. By centering and grounding, you're way more effective in everything that you're doing. Right. You're way more creative. You have for access sure. to a lot more information in your, in your mind and from the universe, whatever you want to call it. And you're just incredibly effective because you're more present with the people you're with. Exactly. Yeah. So you can pick up on information. There's so much information, as you right. said there that is not verbal. On the flip side, if you're not present, if you are stressed out, if you're not in your heart, you're in your head, you're, you know, you're not taking care of yourself, there's, there's going to be miscommunications, it's going to take longer, things are going to go the wrong direction, yeah. there's going to be a lot of rework, right. all of those things. The friction just like goes through the roof. Welcome. I'm Brian Gates, and this is True Leadership. Our mission is to expand awareness of what's possible in life and business. I created this show to introduce you to business leaders and life hackers so that you can learn about the pivotal moments in their lives that have shifted their perspective on what it means to be successful. Today, I'll be sharing a conversation that I had with Shiv Shukla, founder and CEO of Neuralace Medical. I'm really excited to share this conversation with you because Shiv gets really vulnerable and really shares some of the challenges that he's had in his life related to lack of empathy, lack of emotional intelligence. He talks about the impacts that's had on his life and in his business, and he talks about what he's doing and has done to create systems for himself to increase his empathy and his EQ. So it's a fascinating way to approach it, and I'm excited to share it with you. So let's get right into it. Hey. hey, Brian, how's it going? Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have you here. Yeah, excited to be here and explore this further. Yeah, yeah. Let's, looking forward to a good conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah, I loved having the opportunity to chat with you a couple of days ago, get to know you a little bit. Yeah, that was really cool. That was fun. And, um, you know, as I mentioned this show to a couple of people, they recommended you. They said you have to have Shiv on the show. That's You're doing awesome. world-changing things. And uh, it's really inspiring. So I'm really looking forward to digging into that. So tell, tell me a little bit about your, your business, mm -hmm. Neuralace Medical. And you're disrupting chronic pain with the use of technology. Right. I mean, that is a huge mission, a huge thing that you're taking on. Sure. And it's unbelievable. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, definitely. So I've been working on our technology for about seven years something that we discovered while doing clinical research at the VA on patients, on veterans suffering with chronic pain. Hmm. And what inspired me was when I met a veteran who is sort of like near my age, um, who's suffering from chronic nerve pain in his calf, 
and two weeks after I met him, you know, after we had connected and he was carving out like bamboo cup holders for beach cruisers, like mm. would spend his time taking care of his daughters, wouldn't take opioids, but was in horrible pain and nothing helped him. And um, I connected with him and I went into like the appointment one day as a volunteer to observe and the nurse came in and whispered, the next one's a problem patient. And I was thinking that, okay, maybe there's some psychological issue, like just mentally preparing myself. Mm. And this gentleman walks in and I was like, is he the patient? Like, didn't seem like he had any problems. Mm. The main problem was that he had chronic pain and there was no solutions. And two weeks after I met him, it took a shotgun to his leg. And I was standing in the ICU with him and the physician said, I'm sorry, the VA system failed you. And that shocked me because what I was thinking was like, I'm sorry, I failed you. Like, that's all I could feel at the moment. Wait, so he took a shotgun to his leg. Yeah. What, why did he take a shotgun to his leg? Um, when I walked in, he looked at me and he said, I know it seems crazy, but in the moment, like, that's all I could think of. Because in his mind, like, the leg was causing pain. So it was like, get rid of the leg. Wow. And this, the challenge with chronic pain is that that doesn't help. The pain still persists. Wow. And it's hard to explain to somebody who's dealing with levels of pain that, you know, where you want to do like something that extreme. And that was a good outcome. He could have taken that to his head. Right. So yeah, that right. it's crazy that in the 21st century that this problem still exists. Mm -hmm. And seven years later, just last week, we had a patient that took a, had taken a chainsaw to their leg. Oh, wow. So like, this is a real problem. There's so many patients that are struggling with it. It's easy to ignore. But it blew me away that that existed. I wanted to go to med school to help one of the chronic pain conditions. Mm. Like crack one of the chronic pain conditions to help a group of patients that don't have access to help. And within like the first nine months before med school even started, we discovered a treatment. And so then I was like, oh shit, I didn't, ex I didn't expect to like have a solution immediately, right? But now that we had discovered something, it's like, okay, what are we going to do with it? What was interesting was when we had discovered it, everybody sort of moved on. And so I took some time to see if I could de-risk it and hand it off to a company mm. and go back to med school. And the intention wasn't to start a company or anything like that, okay. right? It was just to make something out of this. Like I felt like it was gonna be like shelved. I had anxiety around it not becoming anything because everybody sort of moved on and there's like no accountability or a sense of responsibility. So I just took some ownership of like, okay, let me see if I can de-rest the hardware and then hand it off to a company and then they can, you know, do what they can with it. Yeah. But seven years later, I'm still doing it. And we're like a year away from FDA clearance. Oh, awesome. So I spent a bunch of time building the hardware, doing the clinical research, learning how to build a startup, learning about med tech and making our therapy better, making it more scalable, treating a lot of patients and now, like, I'm grateful to be where we are because even though it's seven years in, I've never been more excited. Oh, that's great. Yeah. It's, as, so nine months in to med school, you figured this thing out. Before med school. Before, yeah. before, sorry, before med school, you figured this thing out. And then you've realized that it was going to go on the shelf and no one was going to do anything with it. And you figured out a way to eliminate chronic pain, which is going to help all of these people. So yeah. it's, it's fascinating because how many things happen in the world just like that, where yeah. people have something, they create something that's really world-changing and life-changing, and they just assume, you know what, someone else is probably already doing this. Right. Or someone else will, will take this on and it'll be fine. I don't need to do it myself. 
it's crazy. Like that was because I thought that it was crazy that nobody was going to do anything with it. Yeah. Everybody moved on to the next grant funded study. But when I asked them questions, they looked at me like, what do you mean? Like, what do you want us to do, you know? And there's just this, like, disconnect mm. between who's going to take the next step. And we filed a patent, and then that's where, you know, everybody that was on the team felt like their responsibility ended. So, and, and it didn't, you didn't feel like your responsibility ended there. You had a calling. You had something driving you to take this all the way and make this happen. So... Tell me a little bit more about you and your upbringing. What is it about you that makes you different than many people out there that just kind of leave it on the shelf and say, you know what, somebody else can handle it? Yeah, it looks like that now. <laughs> I had no clue what I was getting into at the time. <laughs> and, you know, at each stage, it was like, okay, one more month, right? Hmm. But now I look back and I was like, okay, I had no clue what I was getting into, but I'm, I'm grateful that I'm here. Um, but what, one thing I've noticed about myself is that I'm like infinitely interested in technology. Mm. It can capture all my attention for ridiculous levels of time. And I knew that like, because I would get really excited about like VCRs and spend the entire day like cracking them open and seeing how everything works. Mm. And at the same time, like my brother or my friends would be like, what are you doing? Like, why are you still working on that thing? You know, I could spend so much, like it captured my mind completely and I couldn't stop thinking about it at the same time like I also get stuck if I get stuck on a problem I can't stop thinking about it and so there's mm. there's like a couple of problems that I've been thinking about for years like trying to overcome mm. but once I like dig into it I can't stop thinking about it mm. and so I've so, noticed that and it's annoying so sometimes like I will <laughs> like not hear a problem because I'm just like, I'm not going to be able to stop thinking about it. Let's not talk about that. Oh, that's, that's really it's interesting. It's kind of funny. And no, VCRs, you're, so it's been a while since they've been around. So how yeah. old were you when you started tinkering with VCRs? Yeah, I was like seven or eight years old. Seven and, or eight? Yeah. Taking apart VCRs. And I started with broken ones. Okay. That's, so that was a lot easier. Sure your parents lower threshold. with that. Yeah, they didn't know I was doing any of this. Okay. Yeah, I had a hidden shelf in our garage. Wow. And I would just get them at like garage sales and stuff. People would just hand them to me. Hmm. And then just explore. I actually started with like Christmas lights. And I learned that I could like make like, everybody had all these dead Christmas lights, but it was usually like a light bulb or something that was broken. Mm -hmm. Once you swapped them out, it just started working. But, you know, in our minds, it was like, that's just done. It's garbage. But it was just like one light bulb away from working. Mm -hmm. And then I experienced the same with other pieces of technology, like record players, VCRs. There's always like one little component that went wrong. Mm -hmm. And then it got thrown out. Hmm. And so, like, I became fascinated with, like... Finding that one piece, and then that's all it takes, one little tweak. Yeah, and then it, like, works. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. I love that. So, how has your journey been? So, you started at a very young age of fixing VCRs and re really being an entrepreneur at that young age. Yeah. What has been your journey and what have been your ventures along the way? Yeah, I mean, we've done a lot along the way. Um, so... Through like elementary school, middle school, high school, I was constantly being exposed to technology in the 90s, you know, hacking, like small things like our cable box, and then ending up getting free cable to, you know, copy and pasting terms and conditions in high school for websites and making money off of that. And really? it was just like crossing the line over and over again until realizing that, okay, I crossed the line. <laughs> But it was just like fun ways to like, you know, explore technology that was already like exciting to do. 
and then make income. Um, but at the same time, I, I, I learned that there's like a lot of lines that could easily be crossed. And so like kind of explore, exploring that barrier. So I think I would be, I would have been a horrible physician mm. because I'm so like high risk sometimes, like my thought process. <laughs> so I'm glad that I'm in this space because I get to practice that in a good way, you know? <laughs> right. Med tech is like 30 to 40 years behind regular tech right oh, now. Wow. And it's scary how far behind it is. Mm. And when you ask why, it's because, you know, for example, a glucose monitor might have like a chip from the 70s, right? And it's like measuring one impulse per second. Mm. And then that's why like they have to, like patients will have to like do another droplet of blood. Mm. But like watching my grandmother, for example, like sitting and just like, like pushing blood to the end of her fingertip and then the, the test failing, Right. And then without thinking, she just starts doing this again. And it takes her like five minutes. Mm. I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, well, it failed. So I have to do it again. Mm. At the same time, like I see that that test could have been done 10,000 times and it shouldn't have failed. But because we're using older technology, mm. you know, now she has to pay for it. Oh, wow. And when I, I, I ask engineers, like, why are we still using that microprocessor? Their response is, if it works, why change it? Oh, wow. And so like, wow. they're not looking at the upside and that just blows your mind, right? Yeah. So it's been interesting to like be within med tech and not adopt that mindset because that's a profit, you know, cost driven mindset. If it's not broke, don't fix it. Kind of thing. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. So you're, I mean, you're constantly pushing the edges and of technology to figure out how to reduce chronic pain. So I'm really interested because I don't understand yet at all of how you were able to do that. Yeah. So can you explain a little bit about what, what you're doing with technology to do that? For sure. So I think it's important to understand how like peripheral pain works. Okay. So we have our central nervous system that is our brain and our spinal cord. Hmm. And then everything outside of the brain and the spinal cord is the peripheral nervous system. So from our spinal cord, we have the nerves that go to our muscles. Those are motor nerves. And then we have the sensory fibers that go from our periphery back to the spinal cord. Okay. Right. That's our input system. Part of that sensory system are pain fibers. So we have like heat pain fibers, cold pain fibers. But if I take my thumb and hit it with a hammer, that first sharp, like, oh shoot, that's gonna hurt. Like, what did I just do? That's one of our pain fibers called A delta. It's a sharp burning pain. Okay. And then the next thing you feel is like, you feel like a, there's a pulse creeping up into your thumb, right? If you've ever like crushed your finger mm -hmm. or like damaged any part of your it's body. It's like, throbbing, yeah. Yeah, that's your C fiber. Okay. Right, so those are our pain fibers. So everywhere we have these pain fibers in our body, we also have another fiber called A-beta. And A-beta needs to be active at a baseline level for us to not experience pain in that region. Okay. When A-beta's activity stops, the brain assumes something has to be wrong, that's why the activity has stopped. Hmm. And you kind of like play with that, like if you sit on your leg for too long. Yeah. Right, eventually it becomes painful and you have to get up and let blood flow through. So it means that the A-beta is no longer receiving the right flow of blood or what's, what's happening when it's, that gets cut off? It doesn't provide the signal. So the A-beta is constantly providing a signal. Okay. Baseline signal. Okay. Yeah. Just like our heart is always beating, there's a nerve that's constantly controlling it. Um, we don't have to do anything, you know, in order to do that. It's spontaneous. Okay. And that's how it's designed. And when that signal's present, it means everything here's okay, right? Thumbs up. And then when that signal goes away, it's like mayday, something's wrong, mm. spontaneous pain kicks in. Okay. And it makes sense. If you lose your arm, there's no nerve there to like tell your brain now, hey, this area should be in pain now, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, 
there's nothing there now. And so it works when we're, you know, damaged, like we have tissue injury or accident, like it lets us know that we have to pay attention and like protect ourselves. Um, however, if that tissue heals in that injury, but this nerve's activity is not restored, our brain can't tell the difference. Mm. And so I, that's what I call a glitch in our hardware. Mm. Like it doesn't fit nature's model. There's no benefit to having a pain signal. I feel like nature just hasn't had enough time to like evolve past that, if you will. Interesting. Because we don't, like you can still have, you can still procreate with pain, you know? Yeah. It doesn't keep you from procreating. So like, yeah. it was like one of those side issues that- Well, especially chronic pain, right? I mean, cause pain obviously is there's, it's very healthy that we have pain right. for so many reasons, right? To know yeah. not to put our hand on the stove so we burn, don't burn ourselves and all of those things. But yeah, even with, you know, if you tear your meniscus, same kind of thing, it's, which I did recently, that's why yeah. I'm speaking about it, is you know, it, it hurts when it happens and it's good to know that I injured it. Right? right. But then after that, it's really, it keeps telling me that there's something going on there but I don't need to know that anymore, right? Is right. that kind of what your what your point is? You yeah, don't need like, to know that anymore. You can shut that off because it's not a healthy thing anymore. If the if the injury is healed and you still have pain, okay. that doesn't make sense. Okay. Right? And so if you still have damage, it makes sense because that's a reminder to go easy on your knee. Okay. Right? Other, yeah. it's, it's susceptible. Like you can hurt mm. it again. In like the pure like mononeuropathic chronic pain patients. They, had, they just have a nerve that, like the tissue has healed, but this nerve hasn't. Yeah, so we go in and activate the nerve. Okay. And we do that with a non-invasive means, which is called magnetic stimulation. So it sounds like a foreign concept, but it's all around us. Like the way light travels, it's a magnetic field that creates electric field that creates a magnetic field. And that's how light travels. So it already exists around us. We just don't experience it as much, but basically it's a, it's a coil that has a lot of current running through it that creates a changing magnetic field. And by doing that, it creates a current next to our nerve. Mm. And so it's a six inch coil that we can place next to the nerve that's damaged. Mm. And then we've cracked the code on how to selectively activate that nerve. And then the minimum activation is necessary to provide at least four to six weeks of pain relief. Yeah. This is through a series of treatments? Yeah, so year one, patients need about 16 treatments. Okay. And I would still say that like, we could probably make that better by doing more work, but right now we're at a point where we're actually providing value. So we're gonna roll out this technology, but you know, they, in startups, they always say like, if you're not embarrassed by our product, like you've waited too long. <laughs> and so it's not ideal. And like, I feel like it'll never be ideal, but right now we can create a lot of value for patients who are waking up every day in ridiculous levels of pain, not sure if they wanna continue life, mm. not having any options because their physicians have told them nothing's gonna work. They're expected to live with a lower quality of life, given psychological therapy and physical therapy, you know, on a, on a place on their body where it's like, this feels like a blowtorch. Like who's going to do physical therapy there? Right. You know, it's already hard for us to do physical therapy. Yeah. Um, so like they have like no options and they're in so much pain where they're, you know, mentally not healthy anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like chronically stressed. Yeah. Right. And well, it becomes a kind of a mental disorder. Yeah. Right? The pain, it's physical, but then it gets in your head and it really screws. Under that much stress, all we were looking for is like, how, how do we run away from this? How do we escape? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that leads to suicide and that leads to mm. um, opiate addiction. Mm. Awesome. And so with our treatments, like in 15 minutes, patients are able to experience immediate pain relief. 
Um, on average, that's like 36% per treatment. Mm. And so when they come in, if they're coming in, like some of the worst patients are fives to tens out of 10 in pain, sometimes on opioids. Wow. By month one, like by treatment one, we'll get them down 36% from wh wherever they're starting. But by month one, we can get them down to like 80 to 95%. And for them, what that means is like life can continue. Yeah. Right. There's a point when you have pain and you're like, okay, I can still go about like do groceries, like live you know, life. Yeah. Live I'll, normal like, life. Live to some degree. Yeah. You're not enjoying life probably, but you can still go about your day, you know? Yeah. But then there's also a point, and for every patient that's different, but sometimes around a three or four, when it's beyond that, then it starts interfering with their life. And so that's one thing we measure is like, how much interference is the pain causing for the patient? Let's talk about you personally and your leadership as a business leader and as a man. What have been some of your biggest challenges, things that have come up and maybe held you back, limiting beliefs, those types of things that you've had oh, to, right. and maybe are continuing to yeah. through? I mean, there's been like thousands, but <laughs> it's interesting. Like, I think the biggest ones have been emotional, like lack of emotional intelligence on my end have led to a lot of challenges that you know could have been solved had I had that insight part of like being fascinated with technology is that you don't need empathy with technology right mm -hmm. it does what you want it to do and yeah. it's easy to get caught in that loop of like you know having value and time invested in doing making something happen and then it does it and it's like, there's like a dopamine cycle there, right? Yeah. And then when you come into the world of people, people are complex. There's a lot of things that I think are easy to like overlook and not have empathy for if you haven't been there, you know, and it takes time to like build up the empathy. Because mm -hmm. of the technology, it's you're in full control, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. If something doesn't work, it's because you did something, you didn't connect certain dots. It. Yeah. And once you do, it automatically works. Humans aren't that way, right? No. Everyone's completely different. They're wired completely differently. Right. So, okay. But so, humans, yeah. like, we're wired differently, but we have more potential, right? Technology is, like, it's only going to do what it's designed to do. But I think appreciating how impactful humans are, how much power there is behind each person, hmm. now you have a different perspective, you know? They're not just designed to do this one task. And I, I think one of my biggest challenges was, like, not communicating my... First, like not being aware of like my expectations on someone, mm. right? And then not, not being aware of your expectations? Yeah, like asking somebody to do something, for example, and assuming they're going to do it to my standards, first of all, right? Okay. So like there's like a lack of awareness there. Mm. And then second, it's like not communicating them effectively. Mm. How are you going to communicate something you're not aware of, right? And so that led to a lot of pain, you know, I had a co-founder who, in the beginning, he was a, a physician inventor. And then we had, we didn't know anything about startups, but we had some false beliefs. Um, and things went south when it came time to raise venture funding. Because mm. there's like different assumptions that we had on ownership and stuff like that. And he wanted to maintain a majority stake without being involved in in the company in more than a couple hours a week. And the VCs are like, no, like equity goes to people that, you know, think about the company day in, day out, mm. right? And so there's like that gap. And that, that was, was like challenging to navigate. Kind of a lot, so a miscommunication, just not fully setting clear expectations 
at, on the get-go. Yeah. And then it kind of blew up, blew up on you. And yeah, it's like a bad path, you know, that is going to blow up. Mm. Um, and then not being able to, like, go back and negotiate those things because there's so much, like, emotional attachment. And I think one thing I've learned is that usually it's not, if you're, like, hiring correctly, for example, um, like, screening for positive traits, for example, like, good characteristics and, like, like, if you hire well enough, then it's not a people problem, it's a systems problem. Mm. And so rather than getting upset at somebody who didn't do something up to my standards, yeah. I have to have a system now with my executive coach. Like, I have to wait until the end of the week and communicate whatever was wrong mm. in writing and in person. Mm. But when I've, like, become less charged about it emotionally. So, so yeah, so it's... <clears throat> It gets to the point where it could no longer, it's not a people problem. It's a my problem, right? Right. It's your problem, the business leader's problem. Right. And I hear that from CEOs all the time of my people, they, there's no accountability. They're not accountable. They don't, they, don't, uh, they don't do the things that I want, the way they, I want them to do it right. and buy when and all those things. And then you start to dig in and ask some questions around, well, how did you communicate your expectations? Um, how did you, did you tell them by when you want that mm-hmm. complete? And, and did you focus on what the end result will look like? Right. And the answer for many of them is no, none of those things. Yeah, it's like having covert contracts and making assumptions. But I think when you think about it from a systems perspective, it's like, okay, did I ever communicate this? Yeah, I said it to them once. Mm. They're stressed, right? Did they even hear you? Like, so I can't get upset at anybody until like I've communicated something in writing, mm. right? And I like to over-communicate everything based mm. on our values. Okay. Like, okay, this is why that was like not the way we want to do business, for example. Our value to the patient, about the patient, is that we want to be accountable. There's a lot of pain companies that will implant a, a medical device, uh, like a spinal cord stimulator. And we see patients with like three of them sometimes. They're all turned off. There's zero accountability. Mm. Like the physician still gets paid even if it doesn't work, mm. right? In the end, the patient gets screwed, mm. right? The company's made money. Mm-hmm. Um, our goal is to be the most accountable pain management company. If you get a treatment and it doesn't work, then you don't pay for it. That's right? amazing. And like, why not? It's in most areas of business. There's like accountability, and if, if there's accountability, then you get the payment. Like mm-hmm. if you deliver, then you pay, right? But in medicine, it doesn't work that way right now. Um, but for example, if something goes wrong where, you know, we charge the patient, they didn't have pain early, for example, hypothetical example, then I would communicate that, you know, our goal as a company is to be the most accountable pain management company. And like my goal is to over communicate our values until like when people see me, they're thinking, okay, most accountable pain management. Like yeah. it's like, it's and, habit. And bringing that through in your team and as you right. guys grow as an organization, having that embodied in the culture yeah. and everything that you guys do. Exactly. Yeah. And you as the leader, you your EQ and your ability to be empathetic with mm-hmm. all the people you interact with is going to really help you get to that level and maintain that culture. Mm-hmm. That's, and that's exciting because I know that um, you're within the next 12 months, you're really going to be building up your team. And that's going to be right. an important part of that. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So what are some other things that you need to be aware of, continue to be aware of for yourself in, in order to accomplish your vision? What are some things that could, if, you, if you're not 
aware of them that could get in the way and uh, and set you back from reaching your Yeah, goals. I mean, that, I, I asked that question a lot and I've learned that I can't predict all of it, hmm. right? But do I have the systems in place to I love um, how you always go to process. systems because you're a systems guy and that's yeah. what, that makes sense. So if you're a systems guy, even if we're talking about empathy and people and all of that, that's okay. You can implement systems to make sure that you're doing the things necessary to Exactly. Connect. And yeah. like with empathy, like meditation is a hack for me, right? Mm. If I meditate, I'm connected to my emotions. Mm. If I haven't meditated in days or weeks, like I'm emotionally disconnected, uh. right? But, you know, then it's like, what, what can we place? Like, you know, you can make, build a habit around meditation. Another thing for me is like, and when I'm driving in my car, like everything's off, mm. right? The only thing I can do in a confined space is like listen to myself mm. and then things will come to me, right? Um, so like those are some idea ways of systems. It's not always like super complicated, but for myself, like the question you just asked, like what are things that I need to figure out? All I can do is like trust that I'll be in alignment with my values and then rely on my systems, which is like having an executive coach, having... Um, I have a, a, a psychological therapist. Um, she's like a relationship coach and she's like a, a romantic relationship coach. Right. Mm. Um, but she helps me so much on my day to day, like interactions with people mm. that like, she's almost serving as like a corporate, like business coach. Well, relationship is everything. Right. Right. Every exactly. business is a people business. Mm-hmm. Because if we weren't adding value to people, we right. wouldn't be in business. And your team, they're all people. Right. And it's all relationships. Everything is relationship-based, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah I um, love that. So, I mean, a, a romantic relationship therapist is really helping you be a better business leader. Yeah, I'm, I, I've been seeing her for 18 months. Hmm. And I started seeing her because I was going through a breakup. Hmm. And I learned that I was not being empathetic at all. And I was like, okay, I need to work on myself. So I started seeing her proactively and I haven't stopped because she's just adding so much value. Every time I see her every two weeks, I like leave with something I can work on. That's great. And it's like, I, I was talking to you earlier about investing in reflection. Mm-hmm. And so she's who I go to when I, I, we, I process through so much with her. Mm. I'm like, I can't lose that right now. You know, mm. I need that because we're growing so quickly and like so many things are happening. It's hard to maintained by myself like I don't have enough drives to like process all that stuff right. so you she's need, like the need, high impact you need to tap, processing on, tap on your resources right so you have an executive coach and a relationship yeah. therapist and then I'm in multiple masterminds okay so I talked about Junta earlier it's just a peer-to-peer mastermind group where you have to be vulnerable and authentic um, the space is confidential but when you meet with the same group of people every two weeks for I've been in since 2014 hmm. people get to know you very well yeah. Right, like yeah. better than sometimes your family. Absolutely. Right, and they're like I get a lot of reflection because they know exactly who I am, yeah. who I want to be, and they'll call me out and say, "Hey, like your your values are messed up right now. The way you're communicating, like what are your values? You know, let's get back in touch with them." Because they don't have any agenda other than to help you be exactly. your best self. Yeah. Right? So I lead a couple of peer advisory groups. Okay. Uh, through an organization called Vistage. And oh, awesome. I've yeah. been part of that for a while. I was a member for a while, and then I've been leading a couple of groups. Uh, I actually just started my third group recently. That's amazing. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing to see the things that people bring to the group, 
they'll often say, you know what, this is not something that I feel comfortable bringing to my, my leadership team, especially in my company, even my business partner, and in some cases, even their spouse, right? right? Because some of these decisions that they need to make, some of these challenges that they're dealing with, you know, they impact those other people in their life. Right, for sure. So to yeah. have an outlet like that, a mastermind or a peer advisory group is such a powerful thing. Totally necessary. Um, I think there's value in vulnerability, but again, as a leader, you're also responsible, right? Mm-hmm. And you can't tell somebody that their life livelihood depends on this paycheck that, hey, the company might be screwed, right? Right. Because then they can't even do the job that they need to execute correctly to maintain their livelihood, mm. right? And so it's about, it's very complex, right? But having a, a peer-to-peer mastermind group where we can be vulnerable, mm. um, it's super helpful. I also live in a house, it's an entrepreneur house. There's five other CEOs. Mm. And so that's another space for me where I can like, again, like the CEO role is like lonely at the top, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. And there's pressures from above, from like investors and board, and then from below, like employees, patients, et cetera. Yeah. And it, it's hard to like decide where, you know, which direction to go in sometimes. Mm-hmm. Cause it makes sense both ways. Um, but again, having this group is really helpful because now I'm in a habit of being vulnerable, right? It's not, before it was like lone wolf going internal. Mm. And it's like suppressing the emotions. And I did that for a really long time. Mm. And in the beginning, my therapist would literally have to write like emotions plus logic equals behavior. <laughs> and that made the most sense to me. Okay. And that's how bad it was. Like, wow. that's like, I felt like my EQ was like at, at zero, you know? Huh. But I, I used that equation for like six months, mm. right? But when you suppress, like you don't function and there's so much like information, knowledge and feelings, yeah. right? Like we can teach somebody else how we think, right? Mm-hmm. But what is the calculus behind feelings? Mm-hmm. Like how are they pro- calculated and processed? Right. They, they're instant yeah. and they're consistent. It's like the most authentic thing that we have, right? Response system. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used to not value feelings and emotions and they're not valued in the business world, but I'm bringing that back into our company. Um, like over communicating like okay i understand that like i I, just yesterday had a conversation with my investors so one thing that's really interesting is in in junto you know vulnerability um and authenticity are two things that you know we're unfiltered Mm -hmm. right have you heard of ypo yeah absolutely so i have six ypo's in our company now investors board members okay what's really interesting is they have a similar forum like standard Mm -hmm. right so with them I can be vulnerable and authentic, mm. right? Unfiltered, raw. And most people, you can't just be super on unfiltered. They're like, what is wrong with you? You know, like people that aren't in, they're not used to that it. work. Yeah. Right. And all the work related to essentially in- enhancing your, your EQ. Right. I mean, that's really what it is, right? Yeah. All this personal development work, all the different workshops that are out there, seminars, uh, peer advisory groups, masterminds, all the things are about enhancing our EQ and how much more, how much more exciting and effective essentially is it to, to have a team full of people who all do their own deep transformational work Mm -hmm. and, and, and are in the process of raising their EQ. And because those people tend to have a similar vocabulary, 
right? So you, you're able to be vulnerable yeah. with them and you probably have picked up on certain word, keywords that YPOers use and you can use those terminology to really help them kind of drop into their, oh, okay, a Shiv's going to be vulnerable with me, with me right now. Right. And they can drop into their heart space exactly. and be able to receive that. Yeah, and it doesn't even feel that complicated. I feel like they're constantly there, you know, like hmm. when we're talking... Hmm. That's where we start. That's just, know? that's the baseline. Yeah. That's great. That's how it feels. And obviously we've had a relationship for a while. So that probably is the reason why that it's so spontaneous. Mm. But the fact that I can go to them and just say, look, I feel really emotional about this. I don't know how to process this. Huh. Right. Like usually I, I can like logic my way through a problem mm. um, and I see the logic and I get it. And I'm still like, I have this like knot and I can't get over. Mm. Like, can I please have some feedback? And, mm. you know, like they just helped me Talk process about vulnerability. five minutes. Yeah. Right. And all of a sudden, like, I'm like so relaxed five minutes later. My, I feel like my, my mind is working like the way it should be for the company. You know, like mm. um, I'm innovating again. And, and that's like my baseline. So when that's missing, I just know I'm stressed. Huh. And so I'm so grateful to have to be surrounded by, you know, emotionally intelligent people. Um, because without that, it's just so much more complicated. And what you just said is so powerful. Essentially, by doing that inner work for yourself, yeah. it allows you to be more innovative. And I totally agree. By centering and grounding, you're way more effective in everything that you're doing. Right. You're way more creative. You have for access sure. to a lot more information in your, in your mind and from the universe, whatever you want to call it. And you're just incredibly effective because you're more present with the people you're with. Exactly. Yeah. So you can pick up on information. There's so much information, as you right. said there that is not verbal. On the flip side, if you're not present, if you are stressed out, if you're not in your heart, you're in your head, you're, you know, you're not taking care of yourself, there's, there's going to be miscommunications. It's going to take longer. Things are going to go the wrong direction. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of rework, right. all of those things. The friction just like goes through the roof. Yeah. And that's where I was at earlier when I started and I was talking about like my co-founder, mm. right? Yeah. I didn't have any of those things. And so... Mm. Now, looking back, I wonder like if I had this type of mindset, it feels like that would have been a solvable problem, mm. right? Wow. But not having those is just like... And now you're so committed to it. And that's... Because yeah. Yeah, you're doing such big things in the world and with your, with your company and with your team and all of the things. And, and you're carving out a good chunk of your time to have multiple coaches, masterminds, you know, peer groups, all of these things. Most people say, you know what? I don't have time. I don't, just don't have time for that kind of stuff. And they put all their energy into their business. And, you know, it's fascinating to see the people like yourself that are doing that work. And it's, it's a, you know, it's an and scenario, not an or scenario. Right. Way more effective yeah. in their business, especially when it comes to the creativity and the innovation, exploring areas that, you know, no one has explored before. For sure. So, like, one thing I would say to that is that I have those systems in place because I was facing challenges that I didn't know how to come over, overcome. Mm. And so because I implemented them, I was able to overcome them. Mm. We're like, we we're talking about ALA. Like I, I knew it was very obvious to me that there's something that was missing because I felt like I was grinding so hard, like putting in my intentions were aligned. You know, I was putting in all the effort I could and I wasn't getting the results I was getting. Mm. And so something felt missing. Right. And I didn't know what was missing. And I go to my peer groups and get reflection. Mm. That's external. 
right? Mm. Executive coach, therapist, and how much, like, we can dive, but it's like, you can't figure out everything from external feedback. You kind of have to go internal sometimes. Yeah. And so, like, ALA really helped me get clear on some of the unknown unknowns. Mm-hmm. And um, that's a valuable resource. Do you mind sharing what, what was some, one of the deeper things that came up for you through the, the Leadership Academy? Yeah, it's ALA. like, one of the things that like really hit me hard in the beginning was I value like efficiency and results. And I led one of the groups without sharing too much about the program. Um, it's because it might ruin someone else's process. <laughs> right. but um, Trust the process. Right, exactly. Yeah. I, I led one of the groups and realized that I was so happy at the end of that exercise that we finished in like record time and did everything correctly. Mm. Um, and the next day I found out through feedback that I robbed our team of joy. Of joy. Yeah. Mm. And that by was... Being, by mm-hmm. focusing on being efficient yeah. and getting results. Right. Okay. And not caring about people's feelings and not listening to them. It's mm. like controlling the entire situation mm. to drive the results and then being proud of them. Mm. I remember walking out thinking like, this is a great day, you know, like got that done really well. Yeah. And it was really interesting because before they even started talking about the rules... Like I was, I was very clear that our, my team was going to win. Okay. And so the next day when I got feedback that I robbed the team of joy, mm-hmm. I didn't even know the rules before I was like, our, my team's going to win, mm-hmm. you know, like zero doubt. And <laughs> I'm just like my, the things I'm valuing aren't in the right perspective, you know, like mm-hmm. or out of perspective. Mm-hmm. And I realized I would, I would be really upset with myself if I led our company to be successful but robbed the team of joy and then I reflected on how I was behaving and I was behaving in the same way in our company right not celebrating not supporting and listening Mm -hmm. just like it was no excuses type of attitude just get it done that's how I am with myself but it's not okay to be that way with others also not with myself. Like I'm working on that too. Yeah, you're trying to bring more joy into your life too. Right. And that was like a reflection I'm very grateful for because it would have sucked to, you know, seven, eight years later, look back and realize that I robbed our team of joy. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Beautiful. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be powerful for you. I know going forward with your company as well. For sure. And all of your adventures in the future. Mm-hmm. Well, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I really appreciate you being here. Of course. Yeah. I'm excited about what you're working on. And I think it's like you're at, you're at the frontier of, I was talking about conscious leadership before. Yeah. And I think we need more awareness around it. And so it's cool to see you as a thought leader in that space, just like spearheading this effort. Yeah. yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks for yeah. that feedback. Yeah. I appreciate that. I, it's a big passion of mine to show the real side of leaders, right? Mm-hmm. So instead of, there's a lot of shows out there that are shows or contents essentially that it's just, you know, I just work my ass off and I just push through and I'm fearless and I, I wake up at 3 a.m. and I have a morning routine and I just blow and go all day. Um, and that's great, but let's be real. There's no, nobody's fearless. There's right. no such thing as fearless, right? Cur- Courage is essentially going towards something that you would normally run away right. from, right? And mm-hmm. which is fear. Everybody has fear. Yeah. So to hear from you, you know, how, you, how you're working through some of those things um, and how it comes up for you on a day-to-day basis. And I appreciate you sharing and being so open. Absolutely, yeah. Some of those What's interesting is like the closest I've been to fearlessness is through doing some of like the emotional intelligence work. 
mm-hmm. where I've had like weeks where I'm, it's funny, like in the beginning it was like fear of failure. And then as soon as that went away, it was like fear of success. It's uh, like, what the heck? Like, no where, where did these things come from? Right. <laughs> like overcoming that. It's like, now I'm unaware of fe- I like fears. And I was getting to work and I was like, well, I don't have any fears. Right now. Like, I can do whatever. <laughs> like, this beautiful. is a cool place to be in. And again, the universe slams you with like something, you know, in a couple of weeks. But exactly. Right, um, yeah. Like, yeah, being present to them has been the closest I've been to experiencing what it would be like to be fearless. That's cool. yeah. Beautiful. Excellent. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm grateful to be on here and uh, support this. Appreciate having you. Cool.